everybody, this is Powerful Brandon coming at you with a new episode of Comics Paradox. Tonight we are going to be talking about Marvel's The Century, the introduction of the character through the Marvel Knights imp uh, imprint back in, ooh, geez, what was it, 2000, I want to say? It's it's like two decades old at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, joining me tonight is Mr. Justin Cooper. Say hi, Justin. Hi, Justin. You knew that was coming. Oh, you betcha, sweet <laughs> pippy. I knew it was coming. Christ on a crack. I said, I, I did it to myself, everyone. I did it to myself. You couldn't avoid it? <laughs> nice. That'll make sense uh, later in the episode. Yes. Uh, <laughs> later is now. The Void is the arch nemesis of the century. Okay, now that we've explained it. <laughs> Explaining shtick is fun. Choose your hero. Everyone thinks because you're a zombie, you don't know good coffee. Well, they're wrong. We have very active lifestyles. It's not all wandering the countryside aimlessly or scaring passing motorists. We all love a good cup of joe. And there's only one brew that gets my seal of approval. Deadly Grounds Coffee is my guilty pleasure. Bold, robust, delicious. It's coffee that can wake the dead. <laughs> With over a dozen different roasts and flavors, Deadly Grounds can satisfy the most finicky of coffee addicts. The aroma is so intoxicating, it brings all of my neighbors out of the woodwork. Deadly Grounds coffee. Coffee to die for and zombie approved. It's good to get a little deadly. Use the front door! Oh, they're so disgusting. The Dorkening and all affiliated shows are not intended for anyone under the age of 18. The following may contain discussions or scenes that have adult situations, graphic violence, nudity, strong sexual content, and graphic language. This show is intended for mature audiences only. Viewer discretion is advised. Uh, the reason that we are talking about the century this week is because, um, you know, as, as we do here at Comics Paradox, we cover alternate reality tales and takes on characters and uh, whether that's an Elseworlds or a what if uh, that's that's very clearly defined. This uh, the century, as it was written by Paul Jenkins and uh, primarily visually executed by Jay Lee, uh, is is it's part of that sort of same semi-genre but it is a, a creature unto itself uh because it actually takes the idea of a superhero who existed but no one remembers at all thus creating this sort of alternate reality within what we know as canon in marvel comics uh and the more fascinating aspect of it and i i, I don't i can't remember if you were aware of it or not beforehand justin is that when uh paul jenkins initially pitched this uh, the idea came about that Marvel, uh, Joe Quesada, who was um, running the Marvel Knights imprint that this was going to be made under, he decided it would be a lot of fun if they convinced everyone that this was legitimately a character that Stanley created before the Fantastic Four that had never really gotten any uh, publicity or hadn't really been published. It was put to the wayside and forgotten about once Fantastic Four number one came out and that became like their flagship super 
superhero story. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> they reached out to Stanley to see if he wanted to go along with it. They honestly thought he was going to say no. And instead he, he was like, I love it. It's a fantastic idea. Let's do it. <laughs> and uh, he went right along with them. And then they got Wizard Magazine, which was a publication at the time that covered uh, the comic industry. Yeah, it was to- to go along with it and they started putting little things here and there about um the the fake artist that they had created named Artie Rosen who worked on the century with Stan Lee how he uh in a letters column at the end of one of the Marvel Knights books they had mentioned that Artie Rosen was uh was not doing well and then he passed away and Stan Lee and everyone was like, oh, man, you know, that's too bad. He was he was a real unsung hero. You know, he worked behind the scenes a lot. But this is a guy who was just as influential as anybody else in the industry. And then it led to the uh, the story that Paul Jenkins had gone through the uh, the files, like the the undone pile over at Marvel Comics. And he had actually come across this character of the century known as the Golden Guardian of Good. <laughs> And it had never seen the light of day. And he he asked if he could bring it back into uh, the Marvel comics, the continuity, like really use the character for the first time. And uh, they did this over the course of a year. They built it up and finally released this character that, you know, everyone had been talking about. And we were all surprised that Marvel had had a Stanley creation that they didn't even realize they could have used this entire time. Um, it's, it's interesting to see right off the bat how... <laughs> how it's designed uh they there's a lot of stuff within it um the sentry has a giant s that he wears either on his chest or on a large belt buckle in the middle of his torso uh and the implication is clearly supposed to be that he was you know kind of like marvel's superman uh he could fly he had super strength he couldn't be hurt uh you know just all the basic superhero superpower parameters of of any powerhouse at that point in time and of course a, a big flowing blue cape to attach to his golden you <laughs> oh <laughs> Uh, Justin apparently is getting ready to have a, a, a huge village people throw down. Yep. <laughs> a, well, I, not many people know this, but the Sentry was actually uh, in disguise for many years as the Leatherman. <laughs> he was <laughs> the, the Indian in the YMCA. <laughs> that would be uh, in the YMCA. Because no one remembers people. his name. <laughs> Um, but what's, you know, it's, it's just uh, interesting that they, they went through and they, they followed through everybody stuck to their roles and nobody gave any inkling that this was the case. Uh, and what resulted from it was a a very dark story, uh, that, that came and involved, uh, a lot of the, the big touchstones, a lot of the, the big characters in Marvel comics itself. Um, you know, we're talking the Avengers, Fantastic Four, Hulk, Spider-Man. It was funny uh, on who they chose to touch too and and it you're right it's like they got some flag flagpole characters and all that but yeah. they didn't linger on like some of them but then some of them they did and i'm like it's kind of interesting to dissect that well yeah. and not not just that i mean the importance to those individuals that they did linger on and how the world would have perceived century because of his involvement with those particular individuals i think is why we found the the focus shifted uh I, I, it served to make the character feel more well-rounded as as an individual who had actually existed within the world that these people still inhabit um 
what's interesting to note is uh, Paul Jenkins had actually had an idea uh, that this became, uh, it's not dissimilar to Squadron Supreme by Mark Gruenwald. Uh, the idea actually came forth from when, and, and this actually struck me as kind of funny because I, I discovered it after I, I reread the, the series, the initial introduction of the century from Marvel Knights. Uh, as I was going through, and you might have touched upon this too, Justin, I wouldn't be surprised. I kept thinking to myself like, wow, this feels more like a Vertigo DC tale than Marvel. And as it turns out, Paul Jenkins had been working at Vertigo. and Oh, yeah, he was doing Hellblazer. Yep. And the story idea that he had was he wanted to do a, a short miniseries, a short miniseries, a miniseries with Our Man that showed him dealing with being addicted to the pill Miraclo. Wow. Gave him his superpowers for an hour at a time. And uh, DC and Vertigo were like, oh, um, about that. Are you fucking nuts? And he said, okay, fine. Never mind. I won't do that. And he changed it around and it mutated and became the century. You mean incorruptible hero, our man? How dare you, sir? Good day. This, that's a household name. In what fucking house? I suppose you have something funny to say about his wife, Liberty Bell? <laughs> do you think that name is funny sir yeah it's like what <laughs> <laughs> but uh the it's like i said it's not dissimilar to what happened with uh squadron supreme and mark grunewald yeah uh, the original 12 issue series that mark grunewald did it was originally supposed to be the justice league of america that was his pitch and dc comics reaction was very much the same as the one they had to paul jenkins and our oh, man oh great story are you fucking nuts you cannot do this with the justice league of america i feel like and they would have turned down marvels <laughs> you know it's like dude it's, it's i don't know what dc's problem is it's fucking crazy to me like the the number of times that they've they've been They're like you like, can't do that can we throw crisis at the end of it no okay it's like look i love you guys you're my favorite but you're clearly number two for a reason <laughs> What if I named it Squadron Crisis? Would that Mm. work? How about Crisis Squadron? No deal. We're listening. (laughs) But yeah, it's um, you know, so he he took he took that and changed it around and brought it to you know their competition is something that would be uh, a little bit more palatable for them. Wasn't this after his uh, Inhumans run? Yes, I believe so. Um, Which is still kind of the definitive Inhumans run, him and, and Jay Lee. I mean, oh yeah, for sure. There, there's been a couple, really, but I mean, that's like that's like the pretty much big uh, stories that everybody goes from. B- besides maybe like that Karnak thing that uh, was it Brubaker did or, or a Fraction did. I don't know. So, you said Karnak, so I just, yeah. No, I've already lost interest in what I was saying too. Yeah, so, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Jenkins. I mean, Jenkins too. Like, like from my perspective, he's the guy that started out at Mirage Studios with Kevin Eastman. You know? Yeah, I mean, so it's like there's a turtle connection there. Oh yeah, for sure. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, yeah. But um, Hellblazer, like it, it sets the tone for the kind of story that we're reading. You're not reading a superhero story. You're reading like a midlife crisis of somebody. And it's like, it's kind of, it's transcendent of what like the source material is. It's so yeah. meta when it gets into like the Jack Kirby style art and like the old comics and everything. Yeah. And so it, it's really how it, it shifts, from, it, not just the Jack Kirby style, uh, like the 60s, but also as it goes 
from era to era as he's as he's thinking to himself and slowly remembering things like clearly there there's there's one where he's he's got his teeth gritted the whole time oh yeah yeah stubble and you know he's he's all big bad and buff like huge and it's it's like yeah. okay so frank miller was doing this one got it all right i i thought um i thought the cuber brothers too like a little bit with like all the detail really? Okay. Yeah, like, like that. I mean, I guess you could say Joe Kubert, but really it made me think of like Andy and Adam Kubert. Okay, that's that's fair. Wh- who uh, basically were influenced by Frank Miller anyway, so it's like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, one begets the other, of course. Uh, but the the interesting... I mean, we, we find out that, you know, uh, Rob Reynolds, he or Bob Reynolds, as he is right now, he's, you know, middle-aged. He's, he's a little overweight. Uh, he's in a seemingly loveless marriage. He's got what appears to be uh, an alcohol issue and uh, they make mention of him being a bit agoraphobic like he's afraid of of large crowds of large crowds of people um he wakes up one night and he's just like wait something's wrong and he's kind of traipsing through his house as a lightning storm goes on outside and he finds an old bottle stashed away in a hideaway book and he goes to sip from it and he's like oh yeah this is the serum this is how my powers return and you're like hmm i i don't know what step that is in the program but i'm pretty sure you're supposed to stay away from the super soldier serum in the yeah. bottle that you hid in a book uh and his his wife you know does see him with it and she's like god damn it like now you're hiding it this is this is terrible and all of a sudden you know he with this going on he gets a, a vision from the void the the villain of the entire story the the arch nemesis to the century golden guardian of good and the void appears uh, through his his little dog. It's like a Shih Tzu or something like that. And Bob like kicks the dog, and that's when the wife comes out, and she's like, "I'm going to my mother's, and I'm taking the pets." And Bob's reaction is, "Okay." <laughs> she yeah. gets pissed at that. She's like, "You're not even gonna fight." whatever fuck you and he's like sure yeah i got i got things that i'm i'm, I'm more concerned about like, right I, now. i'm gonna stay here and deal with my uh, impending insanity i so. think the void is back so you better get out of town oh okay so you're insane got it and uh she she leaves and you see him uh put on his his jacket uh bare chested and he puts on his jacket and he's closed pinned a blue like <laughs> The sheet to the back of it, uh, and you're like, "Oh yeah, this this dude's uh, definitely doing his best impression of Randall McMurphy from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest." And then he seemingly starts to fly, and we we move on. And one of the next things we see is he's standing on the very top of a crane out by the Baxter Building, and he has his uh, you know, his confrontation with Reed Richards. And you know, Reed Richards is like, you know, there's no way you could have made it past security. And he's like, "Yeah, well, I helped make the security here, so it's." gonna let me through he's like i'm sorry who are you he goes i'm i'm rob reynolds i'm bob like we've been friends for years like you're my best friend but uh best man at my wedding you're best <laughs> man at my wedding yep. you're uh you're but you're not allowed to remember that so you're, you're not gonna remember me <laughs> he goes i don't remember that and he goes yes because you're not supposed to and you know it's, it gets a little esoteric for a second there <laughs> and uh you know the the this guy just seemingly disappears off the top of a crane that's you know hundreds of feet in the air and uh reed richards is of course just uh perpetually curious and needs to solve every problem so he all of a sudden starts remembering things and finds a a vhs tape of himself that says (laughs) if you've somehow found you know hi reed if all goes well you'll never watch this videotape but if you are watching it then we're all as good as dead and uh it's like oh well 
that doesn't bode well for the rest of the story now, does it? And um, we start to see that the sentry is making his way from sort of strength to strength, hero to hero. Uh, and he finds himself visiting with uh, the Incredible Hulk, who at this point in time in Marvel Comics was stuck in his Savage Hulk form and uh, could not revert back to, to Bruce Banner. So he was, he was still very childlike and uh, just always like, leave Hulk alone. Can't you see Hulk just wants to be left alone? I don't want to hurt anybody, but if you come at me, I will hurt you kind of kind of mentality and attitude. And when the guard, the guarding, yeah, when the sentry approaches him, you start to like get a little bit of a sense like he has this calming effect on on hulk and he starts to speak in more complete sentences and he's actually communicating very well uh did, meanwhile, did your trade have the uh <clears throat> backup uh sentry hulk in it? oh yeah, yeah okay all right i just Absolutely. think it's because they yeah. they go into their relationship and, and i'm like that's cool um i, I'll yeah, I mean we can do that right now i mean we can we can do it as we're touching on each one of these heroes that's that's fine um well, well, the, the the cool thing about the sentry's presence as you mentioned is that they they talk about something that you wouldn't have thought with the hulk that thank you i was gonna bring that up it's painful being the hulk hurts like if his skin constantly feels like it's on fire but being around the sentry there's some sort of cooling aura where he's not angry because it doesn't hurt Yep, and it gets to the point where the sentry is able to help him through his own abilities transform from Banner to the Hulk at will, and both the Hulk and Banner reached more of an understanding with one another. Still sort of separate, but realizing that they were tied to being one and the same. And it was incredible, like, you know, the way they explain it is Bruce moved into uh, the the Sentry's headquarters, the Watchtower, and he was constantly being bathed in this golden light in order to help him maintain control at all times which is just like that's pretty that's pretty cool and certainly a great way to show the influence that this character would have had throughout the ages at marvel but we just don't remember right (laughs) and he um for some reason hulk quicker than anybody else remembers who bob is like immediately yeah you know second he calls him golden man he's like golden man went away yeah yeah, and it didn't even didn't even question anything about his own memory or anything like, oh, you're back. Great. <laughs> you know? And uh, meanwhile, I mean, we still have Reed Richards trying to figure out stuff in the background because, like I said, just yeah. yeah, he's got to be in his bonnet for sure. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's read in a nutshell. Um, and then, I mean, meanwhile, like, while while Bob is going around and doing this, <clears throat> he's still got, like, the, just the plain old jacket with the blue cape attached. <clears throat> Excuse me. However, the, uh, the clothespins that were holding the cape on are no longer clothespins. They are lightning bolt S designs that signify the sentries insignia that are holding the cape on. And uh, we find that he is um, now approaching Spider-Man and, you know, he's like sitting by a gargoyle on top of a building waiting for old webhead to swing by. And he starts telling him like, yeah, you're, uh, you know, you and I, we're we're buddies. Like we're we're friends. We know each other. We're we're pretty cool. And it's like, hey, Peter, what? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And Spidey's like, ah, sure. Whatever you say, crazy man with a blue sheet on his shoulder. Almost verbatim. (laughs) Yeah. Why don't I get you down on the ground where gravity is not your enemy? And uh, that's when Bob's like, no, no, no. I want you to check something out. And then just like floats off the building. (laughs) And Spidey's just like, oh, cool. You can fly. I guess it's badass. I've never seen that trick before. (laughs) Yeah. You're still crazy. Let's go. And uh, that's when Bob holds up a, a photo to him. And it's clearly like a, a very photorealistic 
photo of the century and it's somewhat reminiscent of christopher reeve's first like big promotional shot for superman the movie yeah um it looks like an alex ross uh painting almost yeah very much like it it definitely has that quality to it and um when he holds it up Peter, you know, Spider-Man, he's just like, uh, that's just a piece of paper, dude. Like, you are off the fucking wagon. What is going on? He goes, look closer. Look at it. And then Peter starts to, like, see something. He goes, who are you? And, uh, you know, he's like, you've got to remember, Peter, my name is Bob Reynolds. You know me as the Sentry. And the last time we saw each other, you were working for the Daily Bugle as a photographer. You took this photo. And Spider-Man gets a quick flash of what looks like a very 1980s version of a Spider-Man comic that would have featured the Sentry and he's like I think I remember yes it's all coming back to me now you're a fruitcake (laughs) and uh you know he's like tell you what bob i'll admit the flying thing blah 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 you know and uh as he's going away you know trying to say give me one good reason to to not like bring you in or take you out and bob says to him did you ever notice how some copies of clarion and time and life magazine are misnumbered have you ever wondered why check the misnumbered copies peter find out why the magazines don't run in sequence then you'll have your reason and uh you know Meanwhile, we we still have a whole lot of background stuff with the mystery trying to be solved by Reed. And of course, everybody else's favorite fucking hubris-filled shithead in Marvel Comics shows up. Dr. Stephen Strange... I was like, oh, that could be two people. So because the other one shows up too. Yo, I know, I know. Uh, and you know, Reed, you know, he shows up and he's just like, you know, Reed has just finished saying, well, like, this guy is real. Like, why do I have all these newspaper clippings that are hidden away in this room I didn't even remember? And Steven's just like, listen, there's some stuff that you don't remember, and if you're gonna remember it, that's fine that you remember it, but you should also remember some other stuff about why you shouldn't remember it. So yeah, his his dialogue is absolutely exhausting. If you figure it. <laughs> <laughs> that's great but i can't tell you because that will change how everything works thanks steve thanks for showing up glad you came out go back to fucking bleaker street right now <laughs> like you've done absolute <laughs> nothing you've said here came close to an answer i award you no points and may yep. god have mercy on yeah you. exactly happy little puppy (laughs) you know and um but so you know steve blinks off again and now we see that bob is uh showing up in westchester just outside of xavier's school for gifted children yeah that was an interesting interesting uh, what what that happened yeah that was kind of cool um i really enjoyed how he's watching them train and it's uh like a group of more recent mutants at that time in marvel knights and Bob, he's now in full-on century regalia, by the way. He's in the yellow costume with the blue cape and the big old S insignia on the, the, the wide blue belt on his torso. And he reaches out telepathically to Charles Xavier. And he's like, who the who the hell are all these kids? I don't recognize any of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Chuck's just like, well, there are, there are new students at schools all the time. That's how education works, dummy. <laughs> Sentry's just like, wait a minute, is that one with the wings one of the ones I know? Uh, yes, that's Warren. He goes, why the hell is his skin blue? What happened? And Charles just like, a lot. <laughs> it's a long story, but we, we didn't get like one of those editorials like, see X-Factor 24, true believers. <laughs> yeah, it was, which is nice. It was just, it was very much covered by Charles saying like, it, a lot happened. That That's that. Like, if you want to know, talk to him. He can tell you. Like, truthfully, we don't believe everything that happened. <laughs> and we saw like three quarters of it so 
Um, but yeah, we we see that uh, in the in the interim, there's stuff going on on the other side of the world where it's nighttime, like uh, where it was nighttime. It's the sunlight is retreating uh, all over, and it's like Europe and stuff like that. And they've just been getting decimated by the void. the The centuries arch nemesis, he seemingly controls darkness, and he shows people their worst selves and their worst fears. It's it's an honest fucking nightmare. And part of how he does that is he puts it he uses uses uh, his called infinite tendrils and pierces through uh, individuals. And that's, you know, he reaches through into their soul to, to basically do all this. And uh, he's just fucking up shit left and right. And uh, Peter is doing his thing and he starts to question why all these different uh, magazines are out of order. He even asks uh, Robbie Robertson about it. And Robbie Robertson, without even realizing what he's saying in regards to the misnumbering, is just like, the, there is no number. 743 it does it doesn't exist it's not it's not supposed to you know it's like oh that's more than a little fucking harrowing cool yeah and as he says this like peter's got these different magazines and they the numbers that he was looking for are all blank in front of him and it starts to actually clarify and become the photo he took of the century as the cover of these these worldwide huge publications and as it turns out you know when you think about it that means peter parker would have been the most one of the most famous and successful photographers of all fucking time. Um, you come to find out that when he took the photo, he sold, uh, he he allowed use of the photo by different publications, but he kept the licensing marketing rights for himself. So he actually ended up loaded. But due to the fact that they somebody erased the century from existence, Peter had no idea he had this, this clout and this money. So he's still a struggling freelance <laughs> photographer. You know, which is just like perfect Spider-Man. Just like, mwah. of course, if the century were still around, we remembered him. Peter would be a, a rich dude. But no, no, we can't have that. Go back to crying about your hot, redheaded supermodel wife. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we we start to see that Bob's, uh, you know, going to the Avengers. And, you know, he's trying to figure, he goes to Tony Stark, the, the other world-class narcissist. That's the one I was thinking of. And uh, he's <laughs> like, you guys guys did something and it wasn't good and i haven't quite remembered it yet and neither of you but once we all do we're gonna have a fucking talk i need to know why i was erased and tony's just like i was drinking a lot then i don't know what to tell you i i barely remembered which room i could pee in back then i don't know what you expect me to remember now yeah this was definitely pre-mcu tony stark you know this Mm -hmm. is before iron man you know had civil war all of that stuff so it's like this is like the 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 really subdued Iron Man that we had from like the nineties into two thousands. So, yeah. you know, this is, a, this is an Iron Man who's been tempered by his fight with alcoholism. And it's, it's a battle. He, he fights day to day, which is true of, of anybody dealing with any kind of addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and the story is very much about addiction. Oh, oh yeah, abs- absolutely. This, this entire thing, it, it ends up really being about not, substance abuse uh but rather superpower uh what happens when you gain superpowers and you need to have them you want to have them but there's an absolute downside to them like can you control your need to use them uh and as as we're going along 
there's uh there's even more like the the century is going throughout the city talking to these people trying to fill in the gaps through conversation and then he looks up and remembers he had a fortress in the middle of the city and it appears just this huge like sweeping monstrosity just arcs and it looks like, it looks like uh the tower that uh the eye of sauron is in you know, from yeah, like Lord of the Rings. Absolutely. Yeah. Just instead of an eye, a, a giant golden orb emitting energy. And as it turns out, this was his headquarters. And he he remembers it. He makes his way in and finds his AI um, known as Clock, C-L-O-C, uh, with a transmitter. And it turns out somebody put a virus into it where if it was tampered with, it would release and destroy everything. Uh, and there are plenty of files that the Sentry can't access. He's not allowed to access. And as it turns out, the uh, the last order that was given to Clock before everyone forgot about the Sentry was Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four. And, uh, you know, as it turns out, this uh, little transmitter thing that uh, that Clock is, you know, had attached to him full of viruses, it's being powered by the same serum that gave the Sentry his abilities. Um, and it's at this point, too, I, I'd like to say that with how the story is shown insofar as he gets these abilities from taking a, a serum, a super soldier serum from a scientist. And then he becomes this like crazy super powered hero, like can fly and do all these, these nutty things. I understand with the S and everything, it's very easy to be like, Oh, this is a Superman stand in. But funny enough, um, I actually feel like this character bears a lot more similarity to the character of Marvel man or miracle man. Yeah. Who, yeah. Who in, in and of itself was created cause a British company lost the licensing rights to captain Marvel Shazam. Uh, you know, he was, he was a kid that was given the ability by a scientist to switch places with a superhero known as Marvel man, whenever he said Kimota and, um, the powers that he gets are also, uh, given to a couple of other people. And you get to see like the dark side and the slide back from that and what kid miracle man and all that. What a fucking nightmare. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like there's, I feel a lot more of that in this than Superman. Um, once you get past the superficiality, uh, uh, you know, how it appears, uh, just on the outset and you delve deeper and you start to see what's going on here. Like, oh no, this feels more in line with like what they were trying to do with Eclipse comics. Um, which, you know, it makes me think too, if, if, you know, Neil Gaiman, finishes up and they decide they still want to do some more things with uh marvel man now that they own the character uh maybe maybe you have paul jenkins give a give a crack at it because i would i would read that for sure um however moving along <laughs> we see that that rob is is piecing things together as, as well as everyone else there's been a lot to chew on and think about and uh he's now convinced himself that he's been absolutely betrayed yeah. by every single one of those heroes he has this memory that his death was faked by them and that his eulogy was given by his best friend reed richards and the first thing you see reed richards say is the sentry was a traitor <laughs> and it's like i come to bury him but i can't praise him despite his many heroic exploits disturbing evidence has come to light that the sentry betrayed the trust we placed in him and the sentry's just sitting there remembering all of this and he starts shaking and he destroys a railing he's standing at just rips it right out 
and uh he's got all this buzzing through his head that he he was never the betrayer he was the betrayed and he he starts making his way like towards towards his home and he he runs into his he sees his wife and she's just like oh my god i remember everything i'm so basically like i'm so sorry i thought you were a fucking loser <laughs> and bob's like yeah no i i get it because i i thought i was a loser too so right there with the duds. Do you and, think that they're using the agoraphobia as a reason for him to never leave the house? Oh, absolutely. Like a, like a what about Bob sort of thing. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, less less chance of him triggering something that would have caused exactly what's happening right now. Because I was thinking that's part of the hypnotic suggestion. As you go forward in the mythos of Century, they kind of play with mental illness a little bit more, like when you get into the Bendis era yeah, and all that. Yeah. But it's I mean, like, it's not I, bad. I feel like it was a MacGuffin, and now yes. I feel like it's like, oh, it's an actual thing. Like, oh, okay. Well, like, I mean, that's part of the reason why I wanted to focus on the Marvel Knights miniseries, like how this all initially came about, because I feel as though the the character of the Sentry gets a bit muddled oh, yeah. later on when it's when he's brought into the MCU proper and becomes part of the new Avengers. Um, I get the idea. I get I get everything behind it where as a as a creator, as a writer or an artist, you're like, Oh, we have this character. Let's just be smart and figure out how we can get him in and then use him all the time. Which is okay, but they really started playing around a lot with the psychology of it and it I feel like the character became more trouble than he was worth altogether. Oh yeah. I mean like you you, you have to remove him from civil war. You have to remove him from like Planet Hulk. You have to remove him from all of these things. They're like, well, what about the Sentry? What if the Sentry shows up? Well, yeah, yeah no, no shit. Now you've got to write around this thing that you thought was great. Yeah. So, and I mean, when Siege was a big deal for him, you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. But that's the thing is like when you look at this miniseries and how it was constructed, it was done to be so self-contained that I think if they had kept it like this, it it would have been absolutely perfect. It would have been perfect, yeah. Perfect. No need to – it's sort of like – an accelerated uh, doomsday clock thing for DC Comics. It's like you created the century and you only waited a couple more years and you brought him into the MCU full fully. You know, whereas oh, talk, Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With doomsday clock, it's like, oh man, it, it took you guys 40 years, but you finally fucking managed to, <laughs> to get, you know, Watchmen over to the DC universe. Well, you know, I guess hats off to you. I'm not saying it was a bad series. I enjoyed it. Did, didn't they show one of them in, in 52, like another one of the universes was the Watchmen universe? Uh, no, it was the uh, Pax Americana universe. Is that what you're talking about? I, I'm just saying Multiversity. they had like a panel in it and it showed. Uh, uh, no, I, th- I actually think it was the Charlton universe, not not Watchmen. I think it legitimately showed. Well, they definitely did Charlton in Convergence and we'll talk about Convergence one day. Yeah, I yeah, love yeah. We, we will get to that for sure. I love um, it. It doesn't even but, exist anymore, but I know, but I, I do. I think <laughs> what you're talking about though. Um, I don't, I can't remember if it's specifically Watchmen. I do remember them showing a Watchmen, a very Watchmen like universe, but it was actually the Charlton characters that the oh, Watchmen okay. themselves were based on. I think I, that I thought be, it was just like a, like a flash panel or something at the end of like uh, an issue of 52 or countdown where they were doing like some like history of the DC multiverse or something. You know, you're probably right. It, it, quite frankly, <coughs> I, mean, I have to reread that series because I haven't read it since it came out every week. Oh, 52 is um, great. I, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah, I, yeah no, it is. And it, it leads to like, you know, Booster Gold, and which is one of my all-time favorites, and I know it's yours too. Can't wait to cover that. 
Oh yeah, I know. It's gonna be so much fun. Uh, Issue number eight. Woo-hoo! I mean, obviously, we can see here the domino effect. You know, you start talking yeah. about these things, and one leads to another. Um, it's exciting too, and and like that's the thing. Going back to the century, it's like it's an exciting thing to see a character where you've never seen him before, and it's like you you get this character, and by all accounts, he's more powerful than Thor, more powerful than the Hulk, more powerful right. than anybody before, and he was the first superhero, right? Yeah. But but what's the mystery behind him? And that's kind of like the intrigue about this. It's like the he's the detective in like this noir tale. And he's trying to figure out his own past. And the more that you uncover, the more like the deeper the conspiracy gets. So it's it's a good layered sort of story. Yeah. Um, and, and that's one of the that's one of the things that's a little unfortunate when they they fold him into new Avengers and what have you is they take a lot of that mystique away. Oh, yeah. Like and they throw it out the window. <laughs> yeah, they. Oh, that's Bob. Everybody knows Bob. Hey, Bob. They they play around with the ideas of addiction and psychological issues and even Captain America's super soldier serum formula and just throw it into like a mishmash of so many tropey things to try to explain away how this character exists and why he can exist. And that's all fine and good. Don't get me wrong. If you enjoy the century in Marvel Comics proper, awesome. Like, for real. That is great. And I am I am so glad that you enjoy the hell out of the character. He's got some decent moments, I, I think. Yeah. I mean, he's never been a favorite of mine, but I don't like, like super, super powered guys like that. Well, you know, for um, me, for me, it's it's two versions of the character. Like I love this Marvel Knights century. I absolutely love this story. I I think it's phenomenal. It, I read it and I just had this feeling like this is an instant classic. And I still think that holds up. I, I think if you're able to ignore anything for the century that came after this series, this holds up incredibly well because of the self-containment. Like by the time yeah. it ends, there's there's nothing. For, for you to be like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. Well, how would this? Well, no, because it all reverts. And I'm not you know, going to say there's nothing because there are some loose ends in here for sure. But they could have been breadcrumbs that but, were set but up at the same for time, in the future. I wouldn't even say it's necessarily loose ends because they anything that they don't necessarily hit straight on and explain away by virtue of the story itself, making everybody forget and having the gaps filled in by however, you know, the hypnosis and what have you would take care of that. I mean, there's a giant fight at the end with the void and the century and all the, all the heroes. And I'll, I'll give you my example. Scout okay. his, his uh, boy sidekick. Oh yeah. Where did he come from? Where's he going? What is he doing? It doesn't matter. Like the only reason they have him is to have an end scene at the end that makes him order a chili dog. And I'm like, that to me is like an absolute loose, loose end. I'm like, well, see, it, that's the thing too, is if the, I mean, we're jumping around and, yeah, I know. you know, but at the, at the, towards the end there, when, you know, chili dog, I mean, there's a smirk there as well, which is a, a, a nice little wink to the audience like oh maybe maybe he doesn't really necessarily forget at all you know when it comes down to it how is this going to start all over again how what's the what yeah how does this perpetuate is this a cycle like does this happen more often than we realize well we, how, we didn't even get to that part yet i know i i i shot us ahead i was just saying yeah i know i know i know it's not not a big deal i'm sorry guys i'm sorry no. listeners. <laughs> but uh but uh you know as we were saying though i mean i i brought it to the point where they just they shot just a few years past this this miniseries and, and folded them in whereas you know it took like decades for them to do the same thing with Watchmen in the DC universe mm-hmm. um, and I think for both of those projects you know apples to apples there's um, some good and some bad with that you know there's there's uh, mixed results altogether 
Doomsday um, Clock Rorschach, amazing. Oh, yeah. Amazing character. Like, you know what? I'll take that over the original even. Like, he was awesome. Yeah, he was you know? He was great. He absolutely yeah. was. I, I, I agree. Um, in, in this, uh, you know, when we see the, the Void actually show up, uh, I mean, we start to get more of that dichotomy that has only been hinted at uh, up until this point. And it becomes a matter of, you know, with Rob standing right there talking with his wife, that's when the void appears. Uh, he immediately goes after Lindy, uh, Bob's wife. And of course, like she's the person that he loves most in the world. So what does the void do? Goes, goes right to take her out. And, uh, of, of course with the way melodrama and comic books work, you know, he's like, no, now he's really going to pay that, that yeah. whole deal. And um, at this point, like he's he's realizing, like, oh, it's complete dire straits. Like he went after my wife, and you know, if that's if he's gonna go after her, there's no one he won't take for me. Blah blah blah. You know, the people of Earth, and that's really what's on the line here is existence. They're not even talking about like a bunch of people or the planet. They are literally saying the universe mm-hmm. is in peril. And uh, with that being the case, the Sentry goes to his watchtower and sends a signal out through transmission to all of the people and groups he he talked to throughout the story until this point um probably sans hulk because i don't know what the fuck he'd watch it through yeah hulk hulk was already in i think yeah hulk was just like you son of a bitch i'm in he's like where and when you know yeah where wherefore you want me go golden man i smash good for you yeah and that's i mean that's that's hulk in a nutshell for this um but of course uh when you're gonna meet with this crazy dark entity that is willing to wipe out existence uh where else better to fight them than at the statue of liberty i guess yeah need a, a big copper landmark to hang I thought you were raised in a school. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's a good thing it's not the 80s and they were still doing all kinds of work, so there was scaffolding all over. Yeah, right. <laughs> really would have really would have fucking yucked the it. The haven't taken quick. over yet, so like what is this? Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. <laughs> but uh that's a good movie from the 80s. It's a lot yeah, of it fun. Is. Take it out. Fred it, Ward, it out. the late Fred, Fred Ward. Fred Ward, Wilford Brimley, uh what's her name from Voyager? Um uh, oh my- Terry. No, Terry no, Farrell? No. No. The captain. captain. Oh, uh, Kate Mulgrew. Kate Mulgrew, yeah. She's like the love interest for Rima Williams in the movie. Uh, Joel Grey, yeah. Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> Joel I will say Joel Grey's role in the movie is certainly problematic nowadays. Uh, yeah. But if you can see past that, and I understand if you can't, but if you can see past it, it's a good movie. It, it really is. Yeah, um, <laughs> we were talking about the Zucker movies earlier, so Joel <laughs> Grey, man. You may remember him from Airplane, so. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so they're all they're all convened and uh, just just waiting. And uh, you know, Reed shows up with his head down. And he's like, "I'm really sorry, Bob. I think I'm a jerk and betrayed you." And Bob right away is like, "You did betray me, you son of a bitch." But we have bigger fish to fry right now. It's like, all right, cool. So you're all just heroes getting ready to fight a villain. We we get it. We we understand. It's it's kind of like that scene in The Hobbit too, where like um, you know, eventually like two dwarves show, and then then two more, and two more, and so on and so. Forth forth and then it's like oh thor's here oh miss marvel okay spider-man uh doc samson what you know it's like all these people <laughs> show up and you're like oh okay and you guys are gonna fight this giant void which is you know considered the largest hurricane ever seen you know and they're gonna intercept them on ellis island 
this this show is sort of like the Lord of the Rings right now, uh, insofar as the fact that in instead of uh, Legolas, we are Leoless. He he is not joining yes. us. <laughs> I like that. You know, I followed you in uh, in my axe. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> I'm I'm glad. I'm glad. Like I actually thought of it before the show, and I was like, oh no, how am I going to fit a Lord of the Rings segue into this? Fuck it, I'm not gonna. <laughs> and then you brought it up, so yep. there we go. It's okay. Shout out for Rings of Power uh, episode two. Uh, I've seen both. Dorkdom will provide. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we we see uh, all these heroes um, just ready for for the worst to occur. Um, and from from this point, they sort of interlude with four one shots that just showcase the century um, with each one of the the people or groups that he had interacted with uh, throughout his jogging of the memory. Yeah. Uh, the first one is the Century Fantastic Four, and this one, it, the I mean, they did a great job um, with uh, who was it that that did this? Uh, uh, that was uh, no, that's not Leonardi. Um... Leonardo did the Spider-Man one, and um, Mark Teixeira did the uh, did the X-Men one, and uh, Bill Sienkiewicz did the Hulk one, and it, it's escaping me right now who did this. Oh, oh, here we go. Uh, Paul Winslade. Winslade, yeah. Yeah, and uh, he did a he did a great job of doing the the Fantastic Four style. Uh, yeah, the house style's great. Yeah, um, he I, he knocked it out of the park the the semi shiny suits and, and what have you. Like everything looks real real slick. You know the sci fi action adventure type stories that they were telling for sure. And that's really what what you see them partaking in. Uh, it, it's interesting to note that the adventure is there in the watchtower centuries uh, fortress and things go haywire and the fortress itself starts to try to contain and, and subdue them. And it makes great use story-wise as well as visually of showing how well all of their powers work together. Like that's always some of the best stuff when you see, especially with the oh, fantastic yeah. or them using their abilities in tandem, like t- two at a time uh, or, you know, two then one then one like just it was it was done it was executed really well i was i was very pleasantly surprised while revisiting this that it felt like a fantastic four comic as i was going through and it's that's essential a, read too absolutely essential to the story oh for sure um especially because before i even got to the end of it at any point uh that the end of that issue i was thinking like isn't this listen the implication in the story in they've certainly touched upon it we're, we're missing this nuance uh because we're just buzzing through and, and talking broad strokes for the most part but um the implication is that the void is somehow connected to the century you know when the century remembered even an inkling of who he was that's when the void resurfaced as well um so there's there's something going on there, and it, it certainly seems like it might have to do directly with Rob Reynolds himself. Uh, and as they're as they're going through <clears throat> this uh, mishap with the with uh, the Watchtower, um, I, I started to get the feeling like was this Rob also working subconsciously or unconsciously because he was testing them all working together to see what their strengths and weaknesses would be together and apart. Which is very much his personality in reading these these books, like uh, testing the X-Men, testing Spider-Man, testing limits of the Hulk and all that. Like, yeah. he's, he's very much that type of character. Yeah, and it's really easy when he's doing it with a, a smile on his face and 
it's a willing participant and they're partaking in the curiosity of what they can or cannot do. Uh, but a lot of it, even with him trying to get them to remember things, it's all about pushing and seeing what what is there or not. Uh, and that's that's definitely a common theme that sort of. Um, is, is this the one where he takes on the cosmic cube? That's yes. He starts yeah, off. Okay. Yeah, he's trying to contain the Cosmic Cube, and the Cosmic Cube supposedly um, semi-merges with the Watchtower itself. And you can't help but think, like, did the Cosmic Cube itself do that, or was that uh, some extension of the Void? Um, and as we as we go through, we see it just end like a, a typical Fantastic Four Yeah, <laughs> it totally does, yeah. You know, them having a little barbecue out on, on a, a balcony at the Baxter building, and, you know, both Bob and Reed drinking martinis, and everything's fine. You know, tune in, you know, uh, tune in, check out the next issue, Mole Men from Mars. It's like, oh, that's that's fun. Uh, and then we get the Spider-Man stuff, which pretty much covers what we had talked about anyway, um, that Sentry had come across Peter Parker and he was like, you know, you'd be pretty good if you didn't spend so much energy mouthing off to the guys you're supposed to be kicking the crap out of. And uh, Spider-Man's like, oh, yeah, I could kick the crap out of you. You want to you want to give it a go, old man? <laughs> and he's like, no, uh, I think I think you're, you, you don't want to do that because all I do is haul you in. And quite frankly, you're too much of a pain in the ass for that. uh, I think you have potential, Peter. And that fries Peter's egg for a while. He's like, how'd that dude know who I am? Oh, no. Oh, no. Like, this is bad. He knows my secret identity. If he knows my secret identity, he's going to expose me to the world. If he exposes me to the world, then Aunt May won't be able to make me fucking wheat cakes in the morning. And, you know, that's uh, a legitimate legitimate concern, I guess. (laughs) Who doesn't love having wheat cakes made for them? And uh, then (laughs) Pete is uh, confronted by the sentry again in his own bedroom, Pete's bedroom. And he's like, whoa, uh, listen, uh, if the cops are on the way, uh, I'm not actually Peter Parker. I'm here to steal his stuff. Yeah, that's the ticket. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And uh, Bob's just like, listen, all right, my name is Rob Reynolds. I'm married. I have I have two dogs and I live in Queens and I'm a writer. There we go. We're even. OK. And Peter's just like, well, I, I guess. But why do you why do you want why do you want to talk to me? He's like, well, you you deal with Kingpin and you probably know more about him than anybody else. And we got to take his shit down. And they they show up and Kingpin Kingpin is being controlled by the void supposedly and that's when Spider Man gets exposed to the infinite tendrils and he just sees all of the tragic shit in his life Gwen Stacy Green Goblin the burglar that killed his his uncle uh, everything and then it also shows him what like his supposed life will look like at the end it's just like downtrodden and depressing as hell and uh, they they manage to you know fight and defeat it and at the end of it the Sentry is like I want you to take my photo and he does and you know everything's great and it comes back to the Statue of Liberty now waiting for the void and Peter's like oh man I want to be rich and instead I don't think I'm even going to live past the next 10 minutes this blows and uh, once again we we just move on and see the next person and this one it's the Hulk and uh, this is where we we get a lot of that information about how the Hulk was a raging behemoth who, and like you said, I love this edition because it's not something I ever thought of. And I've read this and I never incorporated it, um, that the Hulk is constantly in pain. His skin feels like it's on fire whenever he turns into the green behemoth. And being around the century quells that. And because he's not feeling so much pain, he can actually think. And that's when he actually, he, he becomes more docile and he becomes 
through this universe where the, the century existed, uh, a fully functioning member of the Avengers and a hero. Yep. People people actually stop seeing the Hulk as a monster and start seeing him as a force for good. And that's when you you find out that they basically became a team, the the Sentry and the Hulk. They they live he lived in the watchtower and he learned to harness, like I said, the ability to to switch between forms and both sides of the personality embraced one another and what a what a world of difference something like that would have made for bruce banner and the hulk for a very long time one of the things that sentry actually says early on in the miniseries when he sees hulk for the first time is why are you still like this you should have evolved by now which is i i would have loved to get a little bit more like what do you mean evolved like that's yeah interesting. right and they go back to that too yeah and that's the thing is whatever science might have been uh conducted to figure out more of what bruce and the hulk's deal was unfortunately it's all lost to the fact that the century has to get er- erased from everyone's memories and existence essentially so it's you know it's like damn what what are we losing out on for the hulk by not having access to what the century and likely reed richards worked on together to to help bruce um you know in in now uh, you know we just have bruce gearing up for being afraid because he is well aware of what it's like to have the void hit you with their tent with its tendrils and probably more so than anyone else the hulk is a giant child so that fear of the dark and the evil things it brings is very much on the forefront of his well mind for lack of a better term yeah and they they make no secret about making how much uh sentry loves the hulk and how much the void hates the hulk and how the hulk is afraid like legit afraid they make a point to say that the sentry loves the hulk more than anyone else like he loves the hulk and that is the reason why the void hates the hulk through and through and uh we come to century x-men which funny enough um not who i ever would have thought but considering the comments earlier uh it focuses on angel from the x-men and back when they were you know first class it was the original x-men bobby gene scott hank um and they were going through the danger room and warren is just acting like a a brash asshole which he was wont to do (laughs) quite a bit and um yeah pretty much all through the 80s and early 90s so yeah. oh yeah absolutely um and he he makes his way through and kind of screws up an entire exercise because he wasn't following the instruction or helping his teammates realizing like you know the team is the important thing not yeah, the this, individual this was probably my favorite part it was definitely my my favorite about. Um, I, I actually for, really liked that issue. I, I gotta yeah, say that. So I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I think I enjoyed it more now as an adult than I did when it, it first came out. Like I could definitely appreciate it a lot more. Uh, not that not that it's anything like super heady. It's just you know you you look for different no, things. It's like different logistical. Stages. Like in in a sense, it's like when he's talking to him about like. Oh, why did you pull away? Oh, I, I don't know. I just pulled away. It's like, no, you pulled away because you didn't want to make a mistake and hurt your body. You were scared. You're, yeah, you were, you were afraid. It's like, there's a lot more at stake than just a couple bumps and bruises. And I was like, holy shit. I'm like, people, you don't talk to superheroes like that. I'm like, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, he, 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 one of the things he says, is like, you know, you can fall or you can fail. But I've learned over the years, it hurts more to fail than to fall. Yeah. And, you know, and Warren's just like, I don't, 
I don't get it. If you fall, you fail anyway. And the sentry's response to him is bruises go away after a while. It's a lot harder to shake the memory of where you made your first mistake initially. It's like, oh, that's... That's going to stick with me, man. Like, yeah, absolutely. It, it's solid. Like, it's it's absolutely done well. And it just goes to show, like, the influence that this character supposedly had throughout the mainstay Marvel Universe. Like, uh, such a positive influence on all of these different characters. How, how he enriched their lives. Like, either how they lived or how they fought. And for somebody like Angel to be the one that they focused on with this was, I thought, brilliant because as Angel specifies to Professor X when Xavier is saying, like, you didn't do this correctly at all. Like, you didn't listen to instruction. And Angel's response is like, oh, yeah, why don't you try to do a fucking barrel roll and tell me how that works out for you next time? Thanks, Chuck, you know? And uh, that's when Professor X is like, oh, uh, I there's an appointment for you. You have to go visit uh, the Sentry. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, oh, cool. I wonder what this is about. <laughs> you know, and, and that's when they start talking about flying and, and how it is how it is to, to go out there and hope that you know what you're doing. But you need to make sure that everybody else is taken care of and you're the last person you need to worry about, essentially. Like, it's probably one it. of Xavier's better moments, by the way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like... like- <laughs> Honestly, like teaching by letting someone who knows what they're talking about talk about it. You know, that's uh, not necessarily how Xavier rolls. I'm not trying to make a wheelchair joke. I'm sorry. That's not how he how he rolls most of the time. Uh, uh, He's you know he's another one who's filled with quite a bit of hubris. I mean, there's there's a you can see a lot of the people who are involved with the forgetfulness of everyone also kind of lines up a little bit with the Marvel Illuminati. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's not a coincidence. Namor shows up at some point. So, you know, yeah, he doesn't say anything, you know, but you know, he's saying Imperious Rex somewhere. Of course. Yeah, yeah. That's all he says half the time. Hey, uh, you, you like pickles? Imperious Rex. I'll take like, that as a yes. I'll take a Subway sandwich. Imperious Rex. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, uh, I noticed that you were a submarine sandwich. I am a submariner. Exactly. <laughs> Imperious Rex, give this to me for free. What do you mean this is tuna fish? How? <laughs> Explain it to me, land dweller. But, uh, wait, yeah, wait, so, wait, wait a second. I need to unpack that. Does Namor not eat fish? I, I would eat fish, but what is this you have slathered it in? <laughs> it's mayonnaise. <laughs> <laughs> mayonnaise hmm you earth you land dwellers and <laughs> and your land sauces <laughs> but uh, white gooby land sauce what is this called again <laughs> ah yes i will take that white stuff and put it on my tuna fish. chicken <laughs> that is what they put on my tuna fish submarine uh <laughs> marsh marshmallow fluff i believe that's what it was called imperious rex <laughs> Actually, I'm from Philadelphia. We called them hoagies. <laughs> <laughs> and I will have a glass of that liquid right there. Are you sure? Yes. Wait a minute. This isn't water. It's alcohol. Sorry, I couldn't, couldn't help it. That's from an old Avengers cartoon, and it's fucking terrible. Um... <laughs> He jumps into a pool. He jumps into a fucking swimming pool in this old Avengers cartoon. He's like, ah, yes, a pool full of water. That will refresh me and revive me to my full strength. And he just jumps in. And then all of a sudden he goes, wait a moment. This isn't water. It's alcohol. 
hall. And he's just like, there's I can't. no way someone has an entire swimming pool full of alcohol. Like an isopropyl alcohol, dude. Like, like you wouldn't smell that from a mile away. Yeah, it would also evaporate. It would look like a fucking, it would smell like a nurse's station in 1973. Get the fuck out of here. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that, but but that's the thing, too. Like, alcohol, like gasoline, has that thing where it, it yeah. sublimates. You, you know, can see the evaporates. vapors. Yeah. You can see the vapors just pouring up. I know it's it's ridiculous. Uh, but regardless, uh, back to. But we're okay with the science of flying men. That's totally for yeah. sure. Not only flying <laughs> men, but men who have wings sprouting from the back of them because yeah. of. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I'm okay with it. <laughs> it's an X gene. That's what they called it. Uh, uh, that's the science that was given to me anyway. Um, and, you know, it, it, what's really cool is like, once again, we're getting, uh, you know, sort of painted uh, rendition of the Lee Kirby first class X-Men in their flashbacks. So we're not getting the full on titillation of what Kirby did, uh, especially considering so much of what we've seen throughout the, the miniseries proper, because uh, they really do feed into that. Uh, however, we do get a Kirby-esque, like, cover in the midst of this uh where it's like startling stories featuring the century and the x-men the golden guardian of good joins the world's most amazing teenagers and uh we see that uh the century and uh what's his name angel angel thank you uh, are going up against a century villain known as the general whose mo is uh just nuclear war (laughs) He really has a bad against France. <laughs> yeah, like fuck France. Apparently, I don't know. What, I don't know if a girl dumped him there or what. But he just he does not like them. Uh, maybe it's the birthplace of democracy. Beats me. Um, but he, once again, like I do find it interesting that with the Century characters and what have you, the Century the S does show up on his chest occasionally, but primarily it is it is part of that large belt in the middle of his torso. And the general uh, follows suit. He has a red cape attached to you know what you would think of as like general patent gear the jacket the boots the 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 slacks uh then he has a gigantic belt buckle in the middle of his torso that's square it's a a yellow square with a black background and a big red g for general in it yeah it's uh it's interesting to see how the aesthetic like lines up with the heroes and villains throughout this quote era that it all took place in he's like a red uh like a dead shot sort of scope over what his his uh, left eye, I think, as well. Yes, he he does. Um, sort of combining the idea of like Deadshot and Nick Fury. Which, yeah. Considering this is Marvel, you know, not not too far off. I'm sure. Um, that's kind of what they were going for, I, I bet. Um, and it gets to a point where Angel is tied up with, you know, he has his wings bound uh, behind him with his with his arms, uh, just you know, a general loop around him. And he's standing on a ledge, and he sees that if he launches himself from it, he will fall and land on the general. And he keeps in mind exactly what the Sentry had said to him earlier: "You can fall, or you can fail." And doing what he's about to do, it may hurt a lot when it happens but it will get the job done it will save everybody else so warren's just like well here's nothing and just lets himself drop down and what's great is it's in warren's head as as it's happening and he explains he says he's he's speaking to himself as this story takes place and uh, he says in those few brief seconds as you plummeted like a cartoon anvil towards earth you finally understood what the century had tried to teach you before he died you'd been liberated not from the constraints of gravity but from your fear of it as you fell you began to feel 
feel an exhilaration you'd never felt when you had wings at your disposal. This was the most you'd ever enjoyed flying. For the last few 15 feet, the last 15 feet, you actually thought you were going to laugh out loud. And then he lands directly on the general. Yeah. Now, at this point, it is worth noting because of what I read out loud he thinks that the sentry was killed by the general because he went to fly off and stop like a nuclear blast and the thing went off and he's like oh no the sentry was right next to it well there's that guy i guess good nice knowing him and uh, of course the x-men are like down on the floor right when warren lands on the general and they're like are you okay i'm like wait how long were you there why didn't you stop that fucking dude what's well, he had Wrong. beaten them all, like, specifically. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's yeah, true. so sorry. it's I'm like, they're they're all down there, and, and I don't even know what, like, Marvel Girl was doing or anything, but it's like... He Not using a telekinesis, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, this was, like, literally the only play. Yeah, and uh, they, it turns out that uh, Warren broke a few ribs and tore one of his wings, but he still insisted on walking outside under his own steam, and uh, they're wheeling the general into an ambulance because that dude is all kinds of wrecked. And, um, oh, I thought they killed him. No, 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 no. They're talking about the sentry when they say oh, that. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I can't believe he's dead. Um, And then as they're, as they're sitting there, like he's like, before he died, he, and all of a sudden the sentry shows up, and he's just like, hey, I look like I just went 10 rounds with a nuclear device, but you should see the other guy. <laughs> like, oh, oh, that sentry. And, uh, you know, he turns to Warren. He says, so you having fun yet? And that's like the memory that Warren has of the sentry. And uh, it was a very important lesson that he imparted to him. And it brings us to, you know, current again, where they are waiting for the void to show up. Now, what's been appearing throughout the story is uh, forecasters have been showing a weird hurricane making its way, but it's actually circling in a counterclockwise direction, which is completely unnatural. And uh, they can't can't explain its pattern at all and it's clockwise oh clockwise i'm sorry it's moving in a clockwise direction and uh we know as as the reader that this is the void making his way to uh take out the sentry and anybody around him and uh as everyone starts to converge and convene uh, we start to see unlikely faces such as dr octopus on ellis island standing shoulder to shoulder with spider-man which was, i thought was pretty funny too because you know spider-man's just like uh hey wait what what happens what happens if we win looking at dr octopus and then he just goes then I will kill. Then I will kill you," says the doctor. It's like and the art's phenomenal because it's it's back to Jay Lee at this point. Just oh, to point yeah. out, his Doctor Octopus is like Chef Kiss. Oh. You know, it's like that is cool looking. It really looks like a a, sh- a smaller, overweight dude in a suit that just happens to have like a, a costume that happens to have four metal arms. You know, like no none of that like Spider Man animated series Doc Ock showing up here. No, no, classic green and orange. It's like you said, Chef. Yeah, chef no, it's kid. it's like perfection. Like like the way that some of this art looks in this book is just so good. Yeah, and that's another part of the reason why I say like it that adds to the feeling of like why why wasn't this a vertigo thing oh wait that's right marvel characters got it got I, it. I don't even know how they would have brought other characters into this because it's like i i know spider-man is here because he's the photographer that's they just had to get to that point and then just pump in whatever story that they needed to that's fine but it's like if they did this in d in dc would it be jimmy olsen oh, you know it's like tough like what yeah. else who else would it be Oh, yeah i have no idea that'd be yeah. very difficult to do for sure maybe, maybe it would be uh ralph dimby you know oh ralph Dimmy, yeah so that that could that could have worked so oh yeah see that yeah it would have been it would have been bob hiring ralph to help figure out the mystery of who he was 
And and really, he should have hired Detective Chimp. Uh, always and forever. <laughs> Come on, dude. Um, but yeah, so we start to see uh, all this stuff start up with the void being there. Um, Doc Samson's on the Brooklyn Bridge trying to save people and help people. Uh, Thor is, is gearing up and already saying, halt! And all of a sudden, <laughs> Reed Richards is, is standing there. And he's like, Archangel behind you. No. and everything stops and he's like steve steven strange and of course dr strange shows up again to be basically fucking be the architect from the matrix reloaded yeah yeah i i have issues with like my feelings about steven strange after reading this book you know and i totally appreciate what he was trying to do and all that but he was so annoying and smarmy and i just I'm yeah, like, I mean, the, you can prod people because they need to remember themselves without, like you said, being smarmy. And there's definitely like that feeling of it. And I don't even know that that's necessarily what Paul Jenkins was trying to convey. But just as the character of Stephen Strange is anyway, I can't help but superimpose. Yeah, that no, I, I get it. And after seeing like the, the Benedict Cumberbatch and all that, it's like I went through a million different scenarios and this is the only one. Like, Which oh, okay. honestly was that the I, only one really. Yeah, I, I honestly have no problem with Benedict Cumberbatch's portrayal, yeah, I, you know, but it is difficult to get away from that. But even without that being the case, like I, well, I don't I'm just it. so emotionally invested in this story that it pissed me off. <laughs> that, and that's fair. That's fair. It's like even in this like time stop sequence, you know, he says he's like, we must talk, Reed, you and I. You feel as though you've remembered, don't you? But it's only as much as you're being allowed to remember. Allowed? But I betrayed him, didn't I? And then Steven says, yes, you did. But do you recall why? Oh, fuck you, Steve. Yeah, like, yeah. Fuck you, man. You this know, is like some, some Leonard Nimoy from The Simpsons. Didn't I? Didn't <laughs> I? Yeah. Like... They're going to fucking join hands and start singing Good Morning Starshine by yeah, Oliver. Exactly. The Christ earth says hello. <laughs> <laughs> For real. Um, And Reed's just kind of like, why? But wait, that's right. I remember. It's like, Steve, if you knew asking him that question would have helped him remember, why didn't you ask it already, pal? Come on. Like, don't you think that's information that would have been useful yesterday? Just, yes. just saying. Um, I, I like this. That's like our third Adam Sandler movie reference. <laughs> right? in this. It's like... That movie was just on yesterday too. The, nice. The wedding <laughs> um, but yeah, so Reed starts to get like little fragments and all of a sudden you you see Sue and, and Reed is just saying to himself, I remember it was my wife who saw it first. And you see her reactions. Like, oh my God. Oh my word. Look. And you see what looks like the void um, sort of in developing century uh it's him but his entire outline is red and black and bob is saying yeah get away from me and reed snapping back to reed saying like oh god steven i remember now it was the century himself the century is the void Finkel is Ironhorn. Yes, exactly. Ironhorn is Finkel. Oh God, Ironhorn is Finkel. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah. So we we realize if we hadn't put it together already that the Sentry and the Void are both Bob Reynolds. They're two sides of the same coin. So for every amount of good that Rob Reynolds does as the Sentry, it is met with equal fervor on the evil side of it, and just as many people will die by the hand of the Void. Um, that's actually something they do delve into a little bit more in the new Avenger side of it, that it's kept equal amounts. Like if the Sentry saves 25 people, the 
void will kill 25 people. It uh, That's probably one of the more interesting things that I saw come up from his inclusion into Marvel proper. But otherwise, it's not necessary for the story. You just got to know one guy's bad, the other's not, and they're the same person. It's very much in line with the Hulk, which is also kind of interesting when you think about how drawn he was to Bruce Banner and the Hulk. Like he definitely understood the dichotomy at play for that particular individual. I believe uh, it's the uh, Patty Duke paradox. <laughs> <laughs> There's Patty Kathy who lived most of- Okay, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> That's uh, Shauna McKenzie Aston's mom for anybody else out there that doesn't yep. realize who the fuck we're talking about. Um, he, he played Sam. Her son, one of her sons played Sam in Lord of the Rings. It's this movie where a bunch of small people take a ring. <laughs> it, yeah, and, and we, we did mention earlier on how his uh, tower looked like the uh, the tower of uh, Sauron. So yeah, yeah it's, for real. it's come up quite a bit. So more Two times is quite a bit for me because I don't gravitate towards Lord I know. I was, I was actually thinking of that too. And I'm like, that's not your jam man <laughs> it's really not i mean it's not to yeah. say that i haven't i haven't been exposed like i've read the hobbit and i've tried to read fellowship of the ring numerous times uh for me though that book may as well just be entitled nyquil the novel because every single time i start i start reading it, i'm just like getting the nod from god mm, what <laughs> <laughs> I found the cure for insomnia, everyone. It's anything that J.R.R. Tolkien written past The Hobbit. <laughs> I, I could I could go for hours on this, but as as someone who started out on C.S. Lewis, right, and I, I read through like all of the Narnia tales and all that, and then you get to something like J.R.R. Tolkien, the level of detail that he puts into the scenery and everything else like that is really where it starts. Then it just kind of builds on that. And that was that was what like as a fan attracted me was his writing style and and like the care that he took to talk about things. And that's, you know, you, you started out on a different path with, with Stephen King, you know, I started yeah. out on this path. So it's like, that's, that's why we diverge. Because... Oh yeah. Totally get it. <laughs> totally get it. I mean, but from, I mean, I, I, like I said, I read the Hobbit and I enjoyed it and I got to fellowship and this is well before the movies, like the closest we got were the, the animated Lord of the Rings yeah, yep. cartoon, you know? Um, and I, I enjoyed the Hobbit, but when I, I opened fellowship of the rings, it was like, as they were leaving the Shire, there was a tree that had been planted 9,000 years before. I'm like, oh. Ah, the Huron tree. Christ on a fucking cracker. It's like, it had approximately 523,922 leaves. Let's describe all of them in great detail now. How about no? How about just fucking tell me what's happening? You're missing the point because then Tom Bandibill shows up, so... You know, uh, this is a whole other podcast. Too, yeah, so. no, I'm pretty sure yeah. I got the point. It's called fucking filler. All right, <laughs> that fucking tea bag. Jesus, Mary. It's, it's the only book like like uh, Return of the King is the only book where the appendix that has like uh, all the lore and language and all that oh. is equal to the actual final book. Dude, <laughs> I and the worst part about it is I had the books like growing up. I had the Hobbit and the Lord of the Ring trilogy, the Silmarillion. Like I had them. I just I I just can't to this day i can't bring myself to to do it i've tried i've tried and i've tried i, I keep trying and i keep trying and nothing <laughs> it's it's just awful um but i, I totally get it because there's some books that i'm just never gonna read yeah i mean you know like i'm like you said with stephen king like I, i'm a big fan of the dark tower series like i mean i'm a big fan of the first three books of the dark tower series and then i then i tolerate the fourth and then the fifth is like the last one that's like feels okay this is a dark tower story and then six and seven was just like 
oh, I guess I better finish this book series before I die. And everyone around him was like, that's a great idea, Mr. King. What about this for chapter three? That's also a great idea. And chapter four, great idea. Chapter five, also a great idea, Mr. King. Okay, so no one's going to tell him when he has a bad idea? Is that what's <laughs> happening now? Because uh, I can tell you, if I were an editor for this book, there's a lot of things I would have suggested instead of some of the things that took place. Just saying. Um, so yeah, I mean, even the book series that like I quote love, I don't, I'm not like in love with there's, there's issues through and through, not the least of which are real world, like sycophancy and, uh, recovering from addiction in, in lieu of, oh, actually under the shadow of the fear of impending doom at some point, like, oh, I better not leave my fans hanging with book five, (laughs) like, my God, that's still so relevant to this conversation, though. You know, like, if you think about it, that's a perfect segue into literally what's happening with Bob. Yeah, I mean, Bob (laughs) has found himself right now at odds with the Void. And, of course, we get the revelation that they are the same. Uh, We see the past unfurl before us, uh, and we get the full scope of that sequence that keeps being flashed with him being confronted by the Avengers and Reed Richards, uh, as well as Doctor Strange and what it is is they realized at that point that the void and the sentry were the same person and what that meant that the only way to get rid of the void was to get rid of the sentry and that means they needed Bob to voluntarily forget that he was the sentry along with making everyone else forget and so they spend their last night you know drinking and talking about old times and being best friends and bob coming to terms and stating out loud that he had an addiction and as much as he knew that he was also the void he was too addicted to being a superhero he needed to be able to do those good things not just for others but because he liked the way it felt to be able to do them and it was that for years that prevented him from saying anything to keep the void from hurting others he was willing to keep that fight going because it allowed him to be the sentry still and as as it goes they come back to the present and the void and sentry are getting ready to throw down the voids coming at everybody ready to destroy the entire universe and everyone is just preparing to meet their end all the heroes they are looking up and they know that there's there's nothing nothing they can do and bob realizes it's not even going to end for me we can destroy all of existence right now every person every living thing and what will still endure is me and the void locked in combat against one another there's only one way for this to actually end and i need to do it and he comes to the realization that their first instinct when this was first discovered was the right one and he makes his way to the clock tower i mean to the watchtower sees clock says his goodbyes to reed richards and dr strange and makes himself and everyone else forget all over again that he was ever the sentry that the sentry even existed thus erasing the danger that was the void not just for earth but for all of reality and it blinks out in a small black panel and then we come back to a lot of the devastation that had been wrought from this gigantic battle that the void was perpetrating and we get little sound bites from newscasts where they're saying the damage estimated is in tens of is estimated in the tens of billions making this the most expensive natural disaster in history. Yeah, they blamed on the hurricane. 
They blamed yeah. it all on the hurricane. And um, then they have a statement released this afternoon by Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four suggested damage may have been exacerbated by what sensors indicate is a temporal anomaly carried in the heart of the hurricane. So they still managed to sneak a little Stanley Kirby-esque super science into the middle of it to, mm-hmm. to you know, make it more palatable for the Marvel denizens, as it were, because, you know, used to that shit by now, right? Baxter oh, yeah. building in the middle of the city, Spider-Man swinging around, like, hey, is that Black Spider-Man? No, that's Venom. Oh, sure it is. Whatever. Um, and uh, we we come up to Lindy and Bob uh, now just looking like uh, their usual sort of downtrodden middle-aged selves again. And uh, they're in a car and Lindy's just telling Bob, like, you don't have anything to be afraid of. You know, just remember what the doctor said. You're not, you know, you're not scared. You just think you are. And obviously this is in regards to his agoraphobia. And uh, she's just, you know, just hold my hand and we'll get through this. And they walk into a little diner and uh, she says, I'll have a triple decker with cheese, please, and curly fries. And uh, the guy who's taking their order is the young man who was once the Sentry's sidekick during all of this and who had been damaged uh, decades back. He lost an arm and got scarred up pretty bad from a fight with the void and it essentially retired him from superherodom and bob just kind of like looks at him like kind of defensively and lindy says you know whispers like it's not polite to stare just give him a break because you know she's thinking like oh the kid doesn't have an arm he's got scarring on his face and all of a sudden we see bob kind of look up almost knowingly and we get another kirby-esque flash on a panel and it shows the sentry with his sidekick this this guy billy and uh they're saying Mm-mm, burger palace big chili dogs are big enough to satisfy even a hero's hunger they're humanity's only hope <laughs> and then we see a smirk on bob's face it's the entirety of the small panel and then the last panel is just him going chili dog and that's the end of the series yeah and uh, I gotta say, like it, it's it's so masterfully done. They 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 brought it all to a crescendo, and then brought it right back down to zero point where we were at the beginning of the story. Do do you think that they could make a movie or a mini series out of something like this? Like what 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 would be the appropriate uh, venue? Would it be like one I, of those what if ones or something? I think it would be a what if type, but I think it would be okay. How, how do I put it? It would be under the what if banner as an animated like two or three parter, maybe even four parter. Um, have it probably be about forty three minutes long each episode. Uh, that way it gives you enough breadth to cover these nine issues. Mm-hmm. The decider on that, the breaking point, is you need to wait until the Fantastic Four have been introduced in the MCU. Yep, to do this story. Because there's no way it's done without Reed Richards. There's no way. Um, but you could have it be what if presents the century. And so that way people can understand like this is not necessarily something that they should expect to see in the movies. It's a what if tale. It's an alternate reality. Um, just try to put that out there because that way you can point to it, like people more in the know who use logic and reasoning when they see such things. Because just because you see it in a what if cartoon doesn't mean you're going to see it in the movies. Like I, I'm firm in that belief and if you do see in a movie it'll like be i don't free. think we're going to see ultimate ultron or anything like exactly. that exactly you know? exactly like we, um, we did see like 
you know, Captain Carter and, and some of the others. But, uh, I mean, if they were going to do Sentry, they, they probably would have had a perfect in right there. You know? Yeah, uh, but I think I think it's important to have Fantastic Four set up before you do anything. That way you don't have to explain who that character is or any of those characters. But for the most part, the rest of them, I mean, you you know. They're, they're there in the MCU. Hulk, Spider-Man. I mean, X-Men, uh, you know what? You can get away with not having them in the MCU just because of the fact that they are going to be doing the animated series series next year uh in 2023 so you could probably you could probably square that um however because otherwise i mean the x-men can't even be used until 2025 in order to run out the contracts for the people that were in the fox movies that's why there's nothing truly in active development right now to make an x-men movie well 2016 was the release of uh dark phoenix i think or 2018 2018 was yeah yeah so, but I'm pr- I'm pretty yeah. sure it's 2025 that it goes like the option goes all the way through. So until that point, they have to it's a wait. Shame. Ty yeah. Sheridan was just such a great Cyclops. You know, yeah, I, I really really liked him. It's unfortunate, but what are you gonna do? You know, it's just the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think uh, you just need to make sure there are a couple more properties introduced into the cinematic universe side of it or whatever, uh, so that there's less explanation that has to be given. Um, even though it's it would be like an animated t- tale. Um, and I actually do think like their sort of um, weird CGI semi rotoscoping look that they use for the what if cartoons would would actually work very well on this type of project. Yeah. No, I I'm with you because you would want to change that you want to like juxtapose the style and, and be like hey this is the 1960s era century so yeah yeah you'd, you'd want to do that so i, I yeah I, they they play so much with um shading and shadows in the style they use for what if uh the thing that i would really be interested to see them do is uh make it so that the century himself never has a shadow because that's oh that that's, would be cool yeah, yeah that's one of the things about the character is he doesn't cast a shadow, which means like all of his darkness is reserved for the void. Yeah. And, um, and I mean, the void's tendrils and all that will work so much better in CGI. So, Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you would have to get a very talented uh, voice over actor to do the voice of Bob, the Sentry, and the Void because I do think there would be a distinction between all three. Oh, nice. Yeah, I I would be hard pressed to if you asked me like who I would cast, I would be like super hard pressed to tell you. I mean, honestly, like the first name that springs to mind is Nolan North. Yeah, I mean for for an animated voice, that's great because he's already in the series. Yeah, you know, yeah. and the guy is like super talented. Yeah, yeah, he's, I think he's really he, versatile. I think he could do all three of those, and you could hear the connective thread, like ju- just the thread between all three, easily enough if you paid enough attention. But yeah, I mean, I certainly don't. <laughs> How about Frank Welker? I literally was just gonna say, I certainly <laughs> don't want great. Frank Welker doing the void. Because, like, hey, gang, <laughs> it's me, the void. You will never get away from me, Sentry. You love him the most, so I hate him the most. Yeah, we get it, Dr. Claw. I've seen Spawn. This is the Malabolgia. Stop it. You know, like, I, I and that's a fact, too. So he you're did... saying John Leguizamo. Yes, exactly. Oh, cool. So who's attacking us right now? Megatron? Nope. Uh, Malabolgia from Spawn the Movie? Nope. Dr. Wait, Claw wait, wait a second. Gadget? Nope. Is it the he, Void? He yeah, Mal you Wilson? got it, buddy. For the 96 spawn? I did not know this. Yes. Oh, I did not know that. That's crazy. Simmons, your soul has been chosen to be my general. Wow. I 
you, you learn something new. So, you know, yeah, you, welcome to Comics Paradox. It's not mm-hmm. just about the comics you're, you're hearing about now, but also terrible live action movies. And I'm Martin movies. Sheen. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, Martin Sheen. Why did I do this movie? I he did that movie because of his grandson. I can tell you straight out. He wow. in, a, in an interview, he had said he had mentioned like he got off the phone. He's like, "Oh, what's going on, Grandpa?" He's like, I, "I'm they're offering me this movie Spawn based on some comic book." And his grandson was like, "What Spawn? Spawn? Sp- who who do they want you to play in Spawn?" He was like, "Jason Wynn." And his grandson was like, "Oh my god!" And he was like, "I guess I better do this movie." Wow. Yeah, and I don't blame him for that. You know, he was like, "Oh, you know, it seems." Is that to me- Emilio Estevez's kid is a Spawn fan. Have- yeah, yeah. Maybe for I could have been. I don't know if Renee Estevez has any kids. There's a whole lot of kids in the uh, yeah. That's his family again. Uh, probably gonna, another podcast. Gonna remember. <laughs> uh, gonna remember Ramon Estevez, aka Martin Sheen, is uh, also Catholic. So this. <laughs> he might have you know we're, we're lucky he only has like five kids instead of like 12 so you know make of that what you will um <laughs> i didn't realize the wayans were also catholic <laughs> yeah, they may well be who knows damn uh, she got more kids than mrs wayans <laughs> that was a very talented family right there yes oh, yeah my god um but yeah like uh frank welker did that voice as well uh because i remember seeing it in the theater and hearing the malabolgia and i was just like i i know this vo-. like this was before i knew who frank welker was you, you know what Seek I mean? the diamond in the rough yeah yeah exactly like, yeah. it's just the fucking voice from the cave and yeah the cave of wonder yeah i i actually watched that like two days ago so yeah, that's why it's like fresh in my mind like when he says simmons you have been chosen should al be going go go gadget crucifix like i yeah. don't i don't <laughs> yeah, he should <laughs> i don't know where i'm supposed to fall on that um where's my friend chapel <laughs> but yeah, I, he's not, yeah exactly he's not your friend <laughs> this is all jessica's pre jessica priest fault <laughs> This message will self-destruct in 10 seconds. But uh, yeah, I certainly, as much as I like Frank Welkin, no, no, no Frank yeah. Welkin for the void. I don't think so. Um, yeah, I think Nolan North hits the, the nail right in the head. Like, Yeah, I, I think it would be he would be great. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, but yeah, like, it, it's... That's a cool little fu- segue we did there. <laughs> it's, I know, right? <laughs> hey, Brandon and Justin know fucking people that do comic, I mean, uh, cartoon voices. Here's an example of one of them and how he sounds the same for everyone. Everyone. Yeah, kind of. So like, unattainable. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not like downplaying Frank Weller's Welker's ability. Honestly, like well, he's not right for every role. So yeah, exactly. I mean, like yeah, in the things he's done with that one particular voice are iconic. Like especially for kids from the '80s. I mean, if you've ever watched Transformers, you understand that he's Megatron. You have ever watched in- Inspector Gadget, you understand that he's Doctor Claw. Like he he uses that arch nemesis voice in those things to great effect. But when you have terrible cgi in a 90s independent movie starring todd mcfarlane's (laughs) flagship character maybe don't go with that same voice from those two cartoon properties that we're also very well aware of just just saying i agree um but yeah it it is funny because i had a feeling just knowing you and and your absolute love of animation that you were going to bring that up because i sat down legitimately just after i read this and i pondered it like i sat there and i was like I better think about this now. Justin's <laughs> gonna ask. <laughs> Justin's gonna ask, and yep. it's it's funny that you beat me to the Frank Welker Welker thing because that was one of the things I thought of. Like, no Frank Welker for the void. That's that's my one hard and fast rule on this project. Like, okay, okay, we're getting Jim Cummings. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
Can he use the whistle for the mole voice he does in Winnie yeah, the Pooh? Yeah, he can. <laughs> Century. <laughs> Fucking great. But yeah, um, but it, it's really it's really interesting if you get the trade paperback of uh, this particular uh, series because uh, it takes the it, the way it was split up was there were five books in the miniseries altogether by Paul Jenkins and Jay Lee. However, there were four one shots, and those are the ones that cover the Century and the Hulk, the Century and spider-man the century and the fantastic four and the century and the x-men and those take place in a particular order right after issue number four of the century you get those four one shots and then it all culminates in the century versus the void and that's when like i we both said throughout this they they converge and convene on ellis island at the statue of liberty and everything you know comes to a head uh, for lack of a better term um but at the end of this, uh, this is actually one of the better extras I've seen at the end of of any trade paperback, and uh, I'll I'll throw it up on screen. So not that anybody listening can see what the fuck I'm talking about, but Justin, <laughs> you'll you'll know what I mean. Um, mostly because I guess what you read didn't have it. Oh yeah, look at that. Um, so yeah, this is um they they did a whole segment called stands. Uh, I always say this word wrong. <sighs> scintillating or scintillating i can't uh. i think it's scintillating yeah um stan scintillating scoop <clears throat> uh i'm sorry stan scintillating sentry scoop in which stanley uh did a couple of segments of uh, an interview with uh joe casada who was then running the marvel knights label before he became editor-in-chief of marvel comics altogether and um you know they're just kind of talking about like oh what is it like to have like a big deal made out of a character you don't even remember making and, you know, Stanley's just very like affable about it. He's like, hey, you know, I'm old. <laughs> we made so many things back then. And if it didn't get published, we didn't work it on it or worry about it anymore. So I'm not surprised if you guys dig deeper, you'll probably find even more things, you know, and, and like these were legitimate interviews that were put out like at the end of like issues of Marvel comics and what have you and interspersed like throughout these um, this interview in the back of the trade paperback, you actually get like the little snippets of the um, wizard magazine articles that they were writing to shore up what Marvel was saying about this being a character that was actually created in 1961 um, starting with artist Rosen passes away. The artist who supposedly created this character Artie Rosen um died and they they wrote they did a tiny little write-up in in Wizard Magazine just kind of covering the fact that it happened um and then you have an article where it was a wizard exclusive and it was made a big deal uh called they called the article Raiders of the Lost Art and they talk all about how they there was just discovered a character that Stanley created and as you go through you get you can see like give you the whole article like right up there Raiders of the Lost Art and then the next page is right there there as you follow through um right right here yep and um you can continue reading the the interview itself as well um and then it goes on and this is actually the article sorry the article that wizard put out after it had come to light that it was all just a hoax and the name of the article was the big lie and it's a four-page article that that they wrote saying like hey okay so we we lied to everybody marvel stanley and us we worked together and here's the whole story of how it went down whose picture it, did they use for rd rosen does it say there it, I, I i did not see who, who it, it doesn't it doesn't mention it oh, okay. at all yeah 
because it's like um, a navy picture from world war ii oh yeah yeah they yeah. use a very old picture which was smart honestly i mean it's, it's honest wagner yeah they, they clearly got permission to use it so they they covered their bases um but yeah it, it goes over the whole thing about how they perpetrated it and stan lee actually wrote the afterword for the book just saying like hey wouldn't it be crazy if like you know we did this yada 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 and then he's like who knows maybe i really did make some stuff that we all forgot about so keep your eyes peeled for the near future because might just be real surprises coming through and you know, it was just very cool of him to join in the fun and and you know have fun in this world of make-believe as he as he likes to say um yeah i mean you even got one of the staff writers from wizard magazine back you know coming back to to write uh one of these little uh exits little egresses on on the way out from the story itself was it jim mclaughlin who was no it's chris lawrence jim mclaughlin was like two of my all-time favorites from that I, I met i met him like uh two weeks ago you know, oh. uh, not not two weeks ago but like last month at c2e2 i just went up and gave him a big fist bump i'm like jim like i love so you man cool. <laughs> yeah jim mclaughlin and mike cotton were my two favorite writers over at wizard yeah I, yeah i like both of those guys i met mike cotton at wizard world boston like the only one they ever had oh wow yeah it was a really nice guy i also met mc chris that day which was hilarious i was i was with my um my uh my girlfriend at the time and uh she was like super into <laughs> mc chris we're standing at his table and mc chris is right in front of us at like running his table as she's looking through the albums and i was like oh yeah you know which one you want to get and she's like i don't know like i'm not like i'm not sure what has what on it that's why i'm looking i was like well why don't you just buy them all and she goes i don't know about that and he goes i don't know maybe you should buy them all and she's just like, I, I mean, I didn't bring that much money. I was like, are you sure you don't want to listen to what the man has to say? I mean, it sounds like he he has some things worth saying. She's like, no, I'm I'm good. Thank you. And I was just like, Look so uh, <laughs> how long have you been aware of MC Chris? And she goes, oh, ever since like Aqua Teen Hunger Force. And he showed up as like, you know, MC uh, P-Pants or whatever. And I was like, and you've listened to him a lot since then. She's like, yeah, I'm, I'm a, I, I love that Boba Fett song. I was like, so you, you haven't seen him much though. And she goes, no. And I look right at him and goes, I guess, I guess you would have no idea if he was like even in the room, let alone right in front of her then, huh? And he goes, nah, I guess not, man. <laughs> and I look at her and go, hey, <clears throat> do, you, do you know who, do you know who this gentleman is? And she was like, no, I go, that's MC Chris. And she was like, oh my God. And he laughed. <laughs> <laughs> hysterically like he was like oh man this just made my day like he really <laughs> i want candy <laughs> yeah he really does, like have that like high voice like this made my day man this is great <laughs> it's fucking hysterical it was, it was like one of the only things she ever did that was humorous unintentional <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah like that was that was a great weekend for me uh my my brother went met eliza dushku that weekend because he went in to use the men's room and he was in the stall using the men's room. Like, you know, there was, he was like, I'm not using that fucking urinal. It looks gross. There were two stalls. He went, used the stall, comes out and he's washing his hands. And all of a sudden the person in the other stall comes out and they come up and start washing their hands. And it's Eliza Dushku. <laughs> He's like, like, what the faith? Yeah. He's like looking at her. He's like, uh, hi. And she goes, hi, sorry. There was like way too long a line at the other bathroom. And my brother was like, yeah, um, no, no problem. Uh, I'm Chris. And she goes, thanks, Chris. And went, went out. And he was just like, what the, f and he comes out and goes, you guys will never believe it. Just what, what fucking happened. <laughs> and he told us, I'm like, you're right. I don't believe it. <laughs> I mean, I, I honestly did. I was like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds about right. Honestly. But my friend Derek, who was like in love with her, he was like, nah, fuck you. Fuck you. That didn't fucking, nah, fuck you. 
I come here and I want to meet her and I want to get a photo and you fucking go take a piss and you meet Eliza just because this is bullshit. And we're walking around and it's like an hour later, right? And she's at her table like doing photographs and signings and she sees my brother and she's like, hey, Chris, Chris, like she's calling him by name and he's like, what? And she's like, yeah, come here. He was like, what's up? And she's like, come, come here. And she's like, no, no, let, and tells the security people are there to let him pass the rope in front of everyone at the line. She goes, I just wanted to say thank you so much for earlier. I, I didn't have time to really stand there, but it means a lot to me. And thank you for not being weird about it. And gave him a kiss on the cheek and then took a photo with him. And my brother was like, you know, he turned beet red and he was like, yeah. And comes back over. And my friend Derek was also beat red for an entirely different <laughs> It was hilarious. Like, I laughed. I was like, ha, <laughs> ha. Yeah, that's that's my bro right there. And Derek was like, this is fucking bullshit. I'm like, did that ruin your day, dude? <laughs> like, did that happen to him and not you? Like, I think you'll be fine. The ride home was fucking hysterical. Yeah, that, that's like what happened when we met Lloyd Kaufman. And, and um, you know, my buddies were all like, oh, yeah, Lloyd Kaufman, he's awesome. And I'm like, yeah, I've seen like one or two trauma movies. I really knew the cartoon and all that, right? What a surprise. And we both have the same name, except for Justin's name is spelled with an E and mine spelled with an I. Right. So he's like, yeah, go ahead and make that out. J-U-S-T-E-N. And I was like, yeah, don't don't put an I. And, and Lloyd's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And he writes to Justin with an I. And he put with an I on it. And oh, then he goes, that's fucking great. Here you go, kid. Here you go, kid. You got something. I don't know what it is, but I like you. You got charisma, kid. I mean, I made to, like, I made sure to put an I on it for you. <laughs> he looks at me and he hits I got up, my I got Justin. eyes up to Wazoo. I got eyes to spare. Here you he go. Just holds Take it with two fingers. He's like, well, I guess this is for you now. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I'm like, thanks, Lloyd. Yeah, because I didn't pay for it. He did. That's incredible. So it's oh. in my trunk. I keep that oh, in there so I can break it out. That's so great, dude. But yeah, <laughs> yeah so good, time. good times at cons. Of course, of course. Um, but yeah, like this is this is an incredible read. Uh, and it's just such a such a strange story insofar as like it created not only an alternate reality within the confines of the comic books themselves, but also in our own world. It altered reality as we were yeah. perceiving it in regards to Marvel Comics and its pantheon of characters. Uh, whether or not you fell for the hoax right away or whatever, it was still something that they were doing to alter perception. And that's not something you see in regards to the stories that we talk about at all. This is this was an undertaking in the fact that everyone involved committed so hard to it and that they still like made sure to come out and say, okay, no, this is really what, what went down after the fact is really cool. Because, I mean, they could have tried to play it coy for a while longer. Um, but the, the fact that they, they kept it going for for a year had the series come out oh yeah and everything just came to light and they were they were forthright like okay here's how how it was like the end of clue you know like here's how it could have gone well but this it was, is how it was it like two years how past blair witch right i think like when so. the blair witch project came out so it's like they prepared the studio was like no this is real this is found footage and that defined found footage like probably still today that defines a found that's footage why we movie. call it found footage because yeah. of that movie for sure mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's yeah. actually a really good point. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have a term for it until the Blair Witch Project came out. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's... It, it, but whereas in that medium, you saw so many... That was a progenitor, and there were so many imitators that came after utilizing that same subgenre, particularly for horror movies. Um, this is still an outlier. This is not something you can do really more than the one time it was done. 
they could do it in ten years, maybe. Yeah, you know, I think I think, a new new crop. I th- I think it. I think people are a little too savvy in, in yeah, considering maybe. the accessibility for with the internet now. like this, you know. Yeah. Um, and there's way too many dorks like us, no, not like us, but too many dorks out there that would relish the chance to yuck other people's yum if such a thing were being undertaken is they'd be like oh yeah you think this is no 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 here th- this is the century they did the same thing back in 2000 like i checked right. the microfiche at the library yeah yeah because it's 1987 yeah <laughs> but yeah exactly. like it's um it's really really interesting and like i said if they had kept it more self-contained and didn't bring century in it, i think it'd be uh talked about and held in even higher regard yeah, than it is but because of using the character past this point i feel like it cheapened the whole ordeal that they went through um it's a but, great you know, story regardless but it, like the character is watered down now and just not yeah, as good it, at all it, it's he's become more of a hyperion character it's like okay i get it like he's an absolute enough. analog for hyperion so it's like oh well can't use hyperion let's use him you know yeah. so yeah i i agree and, and i really like that you likened him more to miracle man and mm. marvel man and all that and and um i i think that makes so much more sense than just superman because oh, eventually yeah. he will be superman eventually eventually yeah. but it's a hard road to that in the that that struggle with like wanting to be the hero and leaving sh- you know shuffling off that that icky alter ego who you really are like that falls right in line with what alan moore and neil gaiman were doing with that yeah. character of, of miracle man uh, i i just find it far more reminiscent of that which is which is even the glowing you know like that's something miracle man does too he glows he has like an aura about him and that is through and through what what the golden guardian of good the century is um so yeah if you know basically in closing it's an excellent story uh a fun alternate take on the reality of the comics and our world and if you've been listening to this and you enjoy those types of stories then this is one for you for sure but you don't have to take my word for it Um, yeah, and, and um, you know, I think both of us are giving it two thumbs way, way oh, up definitely. there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and if you want to see continuing adventures of the character, you know, you can figure out uh, by visiting like Wikipedia or something, like what other books for new Avengers and stuff he showed up in Siege, which was a very drawn out storyline involving new Asgard and yeah. Norman Osborn. There's a lot. And, and, and I don't mean to say like it's terrible. It, it has its it has its place and all that. It's just yeah. you get to see a very different version of this character. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so I guess in closing, uh, we'll uh, we'll just wrap it up here. Uh, Justin, Mr. Mr. Cooper, sir, where do you uh, like people interacting with you and in, in scoping out your stuff? Uh, check us out at Facebook and the Dorkening page. It's uh, Splash Pages, the comic book club. You can check me out at uh, Epic, Epic Shell's Facebook page. And you can check me out at uh, Epic Tales from the Sewers podcast. And check out anything that we have going on uh, about Ninja Turtles. All right. And uh, I am Brandon Powers, a.k.a. Powerful Brandon. Uh, if you want to check out the Powers Combined Facebook group, uh, our number one rule there is don't be a jerk. You violate that, you will get booted. We're just a bunch of dorks that like to share news, info, laughs, memes, you name it. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Brandon's Powers and on Instagram at this Brandon has powers. 
Uh, and aside from this every two weeks, you can also find me with Justin and our good buddy, fearless Leoder, Leo, <laughs> Leo Pond, uh, on the Dork Night, covering all things Batman. Uh, and you can find me uh, on Wednesday nights doing the Wednesday night, oh, what is it? The Dorkening Podcast Wednesday night show at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I thought that was the Amazing Bird Show. The Amazing Bird Show, the Bird Show, the Amazing Bird Show. <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah so you can uh you can scope out this and uh the dork night wherever fine podcasts are broadcast all right good night everybody bye yeah there we go say bye justin thanks i did <laughs> <laughs> bye everyone it was the void <laughs> 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 <laughs>